passage we're reading this morning is Isaiah 55, and we're reading verses 1 through 7. It says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on that what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faith have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you do not know, and nations you do not know will come running to you. Because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found, and call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways, and, the, and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Reminder, if you have any questions about the stuff that I say in the next 30 minutes, text them. Please text them, because we want to have some texts uh, to, to read. Um, just, you know, I want you to know, we are really just getting started here in this room. This is... A brand new, a sneak pre preview of his movie to an audience to try to gauge how it's going and get some feedback. Uh, this is just the, the very earliest beginnings of what we're trying to do. And, and our hope is that we want to create a service uh, that is aimed at a different sort of crowd. And the reason why we're doing it, the reason why we're attempting it, is because we really believe that the gospel is great. Heard the good news mentioned before. Well, we think it's really good. We think it's something that if you start to understand it, if you start to grasp it in your life, it will change everything in your life. It'll give you meaning. It'll give you a purpose that you don't have. I was really excited to hear Cole sharing some of those things about how his, his life has been changed. But I also know this, that when it comes to sharing that good news, we as Christians, well, we just haven't done ourselves any favors, right? We have gotten ourselves uh, not the greatest reputation, and, and probably for good reason, right? Christians today, most people who are no fun, right, who are overly serious, who are fanatics, and who take themselves too seriously, but, you know, that is very different uh, from the way people thought about Jesus. The people who didn't like Jesus, you know what they said about him? You can read about it in Matthew. It says that, that people called Jesus a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And, man, I, I love that. I just, I think that is so awesome. You know, I, I want the church to get the, the right kind of bad reputation again. That's, that's why we're doing this. I want this to be a place where people feel welcome for you here. There's a place for you at the table. What I hope you're hearing is that this is not a place for perfect people. It's not a place for people who have everything together. This is a place for, for real people. And I'm not standing up here talking to you because I think I'm all that great. I'm, I'm not all that great. <laughs> you can ask, ask Melissa, she'll tell you. I'm not all that great. <laughs> But I'm up here because Jesus is good. 
And I really want you to hear about him. I really want you to know him if you don't know him already. And if you do know him already, I want you to help me to know him better. I'm hoping we can do that. I'm hoping that maybe we could get together here and we could make us some of that other stuff so we could see Jesus better. Because he's the one we need. And that's what I want to talk to you here for in the next little bit. That's what I want to tell you about. Tonight, the, the big message is that only Jesus can satisfy your deepest longing. That's what I want to tell you, that only Jesus can satisfy your deepest longings. And so like any good preacher, I'm going to give you three points so you can hear that, right? The first one is that we are all people of faith, whether we know it or not. The second point is that we're all looking for something to satisfy us. And the third thing is we've got all that. I've been a pastor now for a little while. I think I'm coming up on year 15 as like a bona fide professional grade Christian. So uh, I have been in a lot of settings and uh, been on you know, different community boards and things like that. And I've been in rooms where people have referred to me as a person of faith. And you know that's fair. That's a, that's a totally fair label. I am, in fact, a person of faith. But the implication, I think, when they say that, is that, well, there are people of faith, and then there's everybody else, right? There are people of faith, and then there's this other group. I think maybe it's, well, there are people of reason, right? There, there are people of faith. There are these people who believe in God. And then there are the people who've gotten past all that stuff. There's the people who are logical, the people who are reasonable, the people who are scientific, who prefer facts and evidence over superstition and tradition. And so I think the world kind of always presents that division to us, that, that we've got the people of faith, and, and we have over here the people of reason. But what I want to suggest here at the outset is, before we go any further, before we even start talking about this Jesus stuff, we are all, we're all people of faith that probably can't be proven. We're living our life based off of some assumptions. I mean, let me give you a couple of quick examples. Human rights. I'm assuming we all believe in human rights here. I think we would, we would say that people should be treated equally. People should be treated fairly. And, and when we see that not happening, well, we think that's wrong. We think it's unjust. We think it's unfair. When we think back on the events in history, like the Holocaust or the slavery that happened in this country, we say, well, those are atrocities. And they are. But why? Well, if you have a purely secular worldview, meaning you believe that what you see in this world is what you get, that there's nothing else that there's a scientific explanation for everything and we just have to find it. Well, that worldview, it assumes that all of our feelings about right and wrong, every, everything that, that is instinctively inside of us, well, that comes to us as the result of just kind of millions of years of genetic mutation. 
So we are the way we are because this is the way our ancestors could most easily pass along their genes, most effectively, most efficiently. So in other words, right and wrong is not actually right and wrong. It's just what we've been programmed to believe over millions of years. But do we really live like that? You know, if that's what you, you think, do you really believe that deep down? Is that the best explanation for the way that you feel in your heart when you see the strong crush the weak? Is that the, the best explanation for the way you feel when you see injustice taking place in the world and your heart breaks over people who are being oppressed? firing in your brain, telling you the way to feel. Maybe it is. I mean, maybe that is the best understanding of it all. But, but my simple point here is it's still a position of faith. That's a hypothesis. It's not a fact, right? Even the most basic things that we believe, even about the origin of life itself, is a matter of faith. Whether you believe that uh, God created all matter in the universe or Somehow, at the beginning, matter created itself. Those are both unscientific things. They're theories. You can't prove them. No scientific experiment can tell you either one is true. So at the end of the day, our, our lives are all based in faith. So then the question follows, what kind of faith makes the most sense of the world that you live in? What kind of faith best explains this reality that we have? And my question for you today is, are you willing just for a, the next few minutes to maybe question some of your faith? Maybe to hold those views loosely. And so that kind of brings us to our passage today. Now, we're not going to do a real deep dive here. This isn't going to be like a step-by-step -step exposition of every word of the original languages or anything like this. We're going to just hit on a couple of points. But what I want us to see in this passage is that we satisfy us. Let me ask you first, do you guys like living here? Do you like living in this kind of Lake Norman general area? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, so before we moved here, I lived in kind of a really challenged part of, of Boston. You know, there, we had somebody, we had a shooting in front of our house. My car was broken into regularly. Um, the schools weren't great. We were kind of always struggling with that. And so having lived down here for two years now, I think I might appreciate the Lake Norman life more than most people. You know, I just see there are a lot of benefits, right? It's a nice place to live. There are good things. Being able to get out on the water or... We're having a friend that has a boat, right? <laughs> and they'll take you out on the water. That's the way we like to do it. Some of you boat owners are here. We're glad you came. <laughs> um, but yeah, the weather's nice. There's a big city that's not too far away. You can go see a concert, maybe check out a museum if you want to. There's lots of stuff, lots of things we can celebrate, lots of things we can enjoy. But you know what I've also discovered since moving here? People are not any happier here than they are anywhere else I've lived. 
when I first moved into this area, my, my buddy who lives in Charlotte, he told me that the, the path to a successful life is you move into a, a, an apartment downtown in Charlotte. You live there, you start making money, you meet somebody, maybe you get married, have a kid, you move into that first ring of suburbs, you build up your career, and then when you make it, you go to Lake Norman, and you get a big house on the lake. Now, maybe some of you, whether you've made it or not, it really doesn't matter. That's really besides the point. But I think his, uh, his little story is helpful because it shows that, that we all kind of think about our lives this way. That we're kind of on a path. You know, we've got a goal. We're, we're headed in a certain direction. There's something in our lives that we are pursuing. A goal that we're headed for. Something we want to achieve. We say, that's what I want and if I just have it, things will be great. If I just have, you know, fill in the blank. For some of you, it's, it's that. It's the Lake Norman lifestyle. For some of you, it, it might be something different. Maybe a, a successful career. Or building up a reputation as a leader in your field. Or maybe it's a relationship. Or have we got any teenagers in here? You know, maybe it's just being popular at school. Maybe it's being a good parent. Having your kids grow up and and be successful. Or maybe it's achieving a, a certain body type, a certain appearance, you know, being young and, and beautiful, or whatever. There's a million things, fame, money, some object you want, that boat, a car. But we're all living our lives, and we're, we're focused on something. We're pursuing something. I don't know, what is it for you today? What's that thing? What's that thing that you're living for right now? Well, the question that we read in this text, the central question that I want to talk about, comes in this book of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah, if you don't know, it's an old book of prophecy. It came from the 8th century B.C., so a pretty long time ago. And most of the book talks about events that took place back then. It talks about different countries and uh, judgments and different things that were happening. But the last 15 chapters or so, it shifts focus. God starts to talk about his plan to redeem. And in the midst of that great message, he asks this question. And we already read it. It said, why do you spend your money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? It's a question about satisfaction. Not just happiness, right? Not just a moment of, of feeling content. But real satisfaction, real deep down in your soul level satisfaction, that kind of feeling of, wow, this is it. Do you know what it's like to be truly satisfied? Because the painful reality of our world is that nothing really satisfies, does it? We spend our time pining after that next thing, that next big moment, that next big achievement. But the dirty secret is we all know that when we finally get that thing, it's not going to be enough. Maybe you're happy for a minute or a week or even a year, but eventually it starts to fade, right? And then you're back on the wheel. That hamster wheel, you know, chasing the next thing, hoping that it's going to come along. 
Here's something you might not know about me. Maybe you do. I love Tom. Great guy. I lived in Boston from 2005 to 2020, and he made my Sundays very enjoyable for a long time. He won a lot of Super Bowls, won a lot of games, and, and you know, it's been great even moving down here because it seems like the world is coming around. They're just starting to have to recognize that he's the greatest who's ever done it. And that makes me happy. And you know, I was thinking about it, and just in terms of life in general, it seems like Tom Brady kind of, well, he's just one of those people that seems to have it all, right? Now, interestingly enough, there is this kind of famous interview that went around uh, all the pastors up in Boston of Tom Brady. And it was, it was probably after he won his, I think, fawning all over him. You know, it was like, gosh, Tom Brady, you're so handsome. You know, you're so successful. You're so great. And he's just saying, you know, what, he's kind of asking, what else is there? What could you possibly do that's, that's better than what you've already done? And Brady has this moment of transparency that's pretty rare with him if you ever see him interviewed. You know, he's pretty basic when he gives his answers, doesn't want to give anything away. But he, see, he sits there and he reflects on his life and he says, well, there's got to be more than this. He says, this can't be all that life is cracked up to be. I mean, I've already done it. What else is there? That question, that answer is kind of a picture of the human experience in a nutshell. Now, most of us, we don't get everything we've always dreamed of like he does, right? Winning Super Bowls and millions of dollars and being you know, married to a supermodel and all these things. But I think we can all relate to that feeling that there's got to be more. That there's got to be something else Besides just this, all of us, we got that longing inside of us. We have this sense deep down that something's still missing. And that's, I think, why we're always chasing after the other stuff and looking for more. We want more. We want that relationship where we can be known completely and just understood where we can be seen as worthy. We want to be content. We want to be complete. We want to be whole. We have a longing to be satisfied. So what do we do? Well, we can continue doing the same old stuff we've always done, right? Looking to the same old things, hoping maybe, well, maybe this time it'll be different. I know it didn't work those other hundred times, but maybe this time. This time's the time. Maybe this time, this thing, this will fill up that empty, keep spending our money on what is not bread. Spending our labor on what doesn't satisfy. Or we can get a clue. And we can realize that maybe the thing you're looking for, maybe that thing that you need can't be found in the places you're looking so there's a quote by C.S. Lewis that is so famous, I think every pastor on earth has used it. But you know, that's, it's good, so I'm going to use it too. And here it is. It says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, well, 
there is such a thing as water. And so he concludes that if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, well, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, well, that doesn't mean that the universe is a fraud, but probably that earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, only to suggest the real thing. So we're all looking for something that's going to satisfy us. But, but here's the good news. This is what I want to tell you. An invitation to something better. Okay, so here's what I'm getting at. You know, I, we, we all have some kind of faith. The question is, what kind of faith is the best to explain our experience in life? Well, I want to tell you what the Christian faith says. Here's what the Christian worldview claims. Well, it says that, of course, we're not a random accident. And our values, our feelings, those are more than just neurobiological tricks that have been handed down to us. But actually, it says the reason why we feel the way we do is because there is a God who made us. And when he made us, he made us a lot like him. Things that we have, they're actually like road signs pointing back to him, pointing us straight to the reality of him. And, and one of the reasons why we're always looking for more is because there is more. But it can't be found here. So the reason why we feel like we're lacking, right? The reason why we feel like we're not enough is because, well, we are lacking. We're separated from God. The Bible says that we're sinners. And that means, in part at least, that we're kind of hardwired to always seek the wrong things. We're hardwired to always go after those things that won't fill us up. And sin, come. Come, everybody. Come to the waters. Come, everyone who's thirsty. Come with, without money. Come and buy and eat. But we won't. That's the problem. We're, we're so messed up that we can't stop going after the other stuff. All that stuff that's failed us a million times and left us empty and hurting. God's saying, come, but we won't. But here's the good news, and, and this is what I want to tell you about tonight. The good part of the good news is that, that God... In his mercy, because he knew that none of us would come to him, that's the gospel, that he took on flesh, this eternal God in the person of Jesus. He came down and he lived a perfect life in perfect obedience and, and holiness. And then on the cross, he died as if he had spent his life running from God. In this passage, God's crying out to us and he's saying, come Everybody who's thirsty. Well, did you know that on the cross, one of the very last things that Jesus said before he died, you know what he said? He said, I am thirsty. And then he said, it is finished. And he died. Do you know that in the mercy, because he died in your place. He died 
thirsty so that you could be satisfied. And this invitation from Isaiah, this invitation to come and buy without money, to buy without cost, well, it comes to us because Christ has already paid. He paid the price. Let me try to put it one other way. Right? Every other worldview will tell you that you got to work for the reward. Eastern religion, right? it'll tell you if you meditate this way, if you pray this way, if you learn to think this way and do these things, well, then and only then can you transcend. Other religions, they say, well, if you want anything, you got to have the good things outweigh the bad things. you got to work, and then at the end, maybe he'll let you in. But Christianity says the price has been paid. All you've got to do is receive. All you can do is receive. That, that the only way for you to be satisfied is to just stop. To stop striving. Stop searching. Stop chasing all those things. Get off the hamster wheel. And instead, kneel down. Give up. Say, Jesus, and I can't. I'm thirsty. Would you give me the water I need? And you know something really cool? I don't think I marked it in my Bible, but it is really cool. John chapter 7. Jesus, there's a moment when he's teaching, and he gets up and he says pretty much exactly that. He says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. It's a promise. Jesus makes a promise that he's going to meet you, fix, but with something deeper. Something that can actually sustain you. Something that really is bread. Something that that can hold you through the ups and the downs of life, through the joy and the sorrow of living in this broken world that really is broken, right? So that's my invitation to you. It's the same invitation that the Lord gives. Won't you come? Won't you at least, won't you at least consider it? I want to lead us in prayer here for a moment. And if you'll notice here in your bulletin, there's a, a written prayer. So I'm going to pray. And then we're going to pray together this confession that's printed before you. Father, I thank you that you're the one that saves us, that you're the one that comes after us. Lord, I know that if it was up to me, I would, I would never come. But Lord, I, I pray that right now in this moment, you might call people to you, that you might open our eyes to see our need, that you might let us see a thirst that we have that cannot be satisfied in this world. I pray for those in this room that have questions. Pray for those who are doubting. Pray for those who've been hurt by the church. Lord, that you would show up as bigger than all those things. And Lord, we pray together this prayer of confession that says, God, we have taken more than we've given and grieved. Christ, in your mercy, break our obsession with hollow possessions. O Lord, set us free.
May our hearts be satisfied. Fill us with joy and peace. Lord, we've neglected your simple provision. Instead, we've invested in building up our wealth. So tear down our storehouses, our walls, and our towers, and build us a table where all can come feast. May our hearts be satisfied. Fill us with joy and peace. As you pray that confession, I want you to hear these words of assurance. It says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. So one of the things I wanted to do this evening 